Low-stress cattle management. It's a subject that arouses varying opinions, but the bottom line is it's not well understood. People that, that misinterpret this and thinking that, oh, this is all just, you know, touchy-feely, you know, lead them around with a bucket and we can't put any pressure on them at all. Montana rancher and low-stress cattle management clinician Whit Hibbert is my guest today as we talk principles of low-stress management, its benefits, and how it is misunderstood on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us here on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. If you're listening via the podcast, thanks for downloading our program today. And if you're one of those that have heard this about this podcast thing but not quite sure about it, well, I'll tell you what, it is a pretty simple way to listen to the program uh, either now or later on. Download it or share it with folks if you search under any podcast program provider out there at uh, Working Ranch Radio Show, you will find us and you'll find all of the programs that we've had for the last year or so. And today's episode is episode 52. Now, also, I want to mention that today's episode is our last for 2021. We sure appreciate all of the support that we've had for 2021 as we've kind of revamped the show and continued uh, to go with it. It has continued to grow and expand. And we sure appreciate everyone for being a great supporter of everything we do here. Here at Working Ranch Radio Show. Here for me, uh, as uh, we're as I find myself here on our ranch in Northeast Wyoming, Wyoming on the X Ring Ranch, we are under a blanket of snow. We got uh, pretty good snow here a couple weeks ago, and uh, cold weather with it. As we talked with meteorologist Don Day, he gave us for forewarning we were going to have that. Uh, of course, it happened when I was down in Las Vegas for the Working Ranch Expo that uh, went off very very well, and we sure appreciate everyone that attended that event and look forward to what we can do in the coming years with that show but nevertheless uh, we are in the middle of winter here and uh, we've had some pretty significantly cold weather already but uh, nevertheless it's winter and we're in northeast wyoming it's something what we kind of expect and uh, we're going to make her through without a doubt well on our show today we're going to tackle this subject of low stress cattle management Whit hibbard who's a fourth generation montana rancher and also has kind of traveled around not only doing clinics and and talking about low-stress cattle management, but has been hired out to do uh, some of this kind of stuff on various operations, as you'll hear in our conversation with him. He will be our guest today as we talk about this subject that I feel, I guess, as I talked about it in the very intro, is probably not very well understood. And we're going to get a little bit more about that. And uh, one of the things, too, I I think we're going to find out as we listen to this, we're probably going to would need to have him come back and talk a little bit more about it, because we're going to get in depth on some of these things, but this is really a subject that could warrant more than just uh, our show here today. Also, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be by in just a few moments here with this edition of Tim's Two Cents. And in our final segment today, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us with a look at our long-term weather as he does in all of our shows. Right now, a big thank you to our sponsor the work of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. And you know, through the years, 
American Simmental cattle have gained a reputation as the science breed. And the American Simmental Association's Carcass Merit Program, their feed conversion data, calving ease research, has really established Simmental as a beef industry leader that combines growth and carcass value with some outstanding cow traits. Research that's now backed by some of the most extensively documented genetics and some of the largest multi-breed database in the industry. Sim Genetics is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Well, in each and every episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, stops in to offer a few comments. This week's show is no different. Here's the captain, Tim O'Byrne, with this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. 52 episodes. You've been with us for a whole year now. You're doing a great job. We just got back from NFR the expo down there at the convention center in Las Vegas. And you did an excellent job of not only doing some radio spots, but you hosted the seminar stage with me. And I got to tell you, the speakers were amazing. I learned a lot from every single one of them. I liked the format. We were, we were just kind of up there like a talk show kind of uh, visiting and, and chawing away there. And, uh, Got to thank the folks at the Cowboy Channel. They helped us get the word out. And I want to thank all the exhibitors. You guys were amazing. I think everybody had a good time. We're going to move a little bit closer to Cowboy Christmas next year if we can make that happen. Looking forward to 2022. Justin, I got a chance to meet your wife, Myla, as well. You got a chance to meet Christine. And, uh, you know, I live my day. I I live it day to day. And I hope for the best. I thank God for my blessings. I don't. I didn't know what 2021 was going to bring. I don't know what 2022 is going to bring. But I hope for the best. I'm glad to be in it with all you guys out there listening and, and our great team here at the Working Ranch Nation. And best to everyone for 2022. God bless you. Uh, you bet. Thanks, Captain, for that. And yeah, it was a great time down in Las Vegas at the Working Ranch Expo. And as the Captain said, we had some a great lineup of speakers. And if you go to Working Ranch Magazine's Facebook page, you will find videos of several of those speakers and the and the presentations that they had down there. If you want to go see what those sounded like and uh, what all was taking place down there, we'll stick around. When we come back, we're going to get into the low stress cattle management subject. Whit Hibber joining us here in just a moment. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fatirity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental-sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So, the proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Uh, appreciate you joining us here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. As our featured topic that this week is on low-stress cattle management. And we're going to say the word management because there's several different elements, and we're going to be talking about that today. Our guest is Whit Hibbert, who's a fourth-generation Montana rancher. And Whit, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. My pleasure. Whit, before we get started and we talk about some of the details and the questions that I have regarding some of the uh, this aspect of low-stress management, let's back up real quick, and, and I want you to give us a little bit of information about you and how you kind of started down this, because I think you have an interesting story that uh, that's very uh, that I think a lot of folks will understand and know that, wow, this is somebody that has not just talking about it from the armchair quarterback position, but really has been in the middle of this, and so give us a little information about background about you and how you started down this road sure justin um i grew up on my family's ranch out of cascade montana um and it was established that it, well it's called seabin livestock company and seabin livestock was established by my great-grandfather in 1868 so, as you mentioned, I'm fourth generation of management on that ranch, and it's approximately a 3,000 animal unit ranch, and I spent 38 years working cattle conventionally, believing that there was only one way to work a cow, and of course that happened to be the way we did it. But then I was disabused of that notion in 2005 when when I went to my first Bud Williams stockmanship school, which actually my older brother, Chase Hibbard, the CEO of the ranch company, he made the executive management decision to send the entire crew and family to that school because he realized the importance of low stress stockmanship or more properly low stress livestock handling and that it was going to be part of our business plan. And we can talk more about the benefits and importance uh, a little later. But so we all went and Chase later said that was one of the best management decisions that he's ever made. And so that uh, experience with Bud, um, it made me realize that no, there's more than one way to work a cow and there's good ways and not so good ways. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm one of those people that just really saw the benefits of it and admitted that, no, I'm not as good as, as I thought I was. I don't know near as, as much as what I thought I did about how to work a cow properly. And I basically surrendered to its serious study and practice and uh, drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that led to starting... The, uh, the stockmanship journal that I publish and edit and writing for um, on pasture and occasionally for other egg rags too. And that led to teaching uh, clinics all over the country on low stress livestock handling, doing consulting projects all over the country and also central Canada and now northern Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, both with bovine and more recently a lot with bison. Oh, okay. Now, I know one of the things uh, that you and I were talking about is, and, I, and I'm really, I'm asking part of these questions because I think folks listening want to 
and and not that they're going to doubt your credibility, but I want to I want people to know without a doubt that you're somebody that we're talking about regarding this subject that is again not just from the armchair quarterback perspective, but I know you also spent some time down in the Big Bend National Park with a project down there where this was really the only most effective way that you were able to uh, utilize this and and get that project down there underway. Talk a little bit about that project and and how you really began using this low stress management. Yeah, I worked for seven years uh, seasonally during the wintertime at Big Bend National Park in Texas, and it's a 802 square mile high desert park that's right on the Rio Grande River. It has 60 miles of border with Mexico. And they have a, they had a real trespass livestock problem. That is horses, burros, and cows that would come across the Rio Grande from Mexico. And Mexican stockmen actually would intentionally use one of our national parks as their free public grazing allotment. And so for decades, all the Park Service knew how to do is to use day hire Texas cowboys to try and round these animals up. And I participated in some of those roundups when I first got there. And basically, I just called them high-speed burrow chases and horse and cow chases because that's really what they were. And it was very inefficient, ineffective, dangerous, expensive. And so I got Park Administration to table that for uh, a test project of using the principles and techniques of low-stress livestock handling as developed by Bud Williams. The long and short of it is, is that program was phenomenally successful. It, it surpassed all my expectations. In fact, I'd say where the conventional cowboys, they had maybe at best a 50% success rate in gathering the, anim- the, the animals that they targeted. I was 100% effective in gathering the targeted animals and walking them in. Only once out of dozens of roundups did I ever get my horse out of a walk. Mm-hmm. And so the Park Service uh, really took notice and really adopted that as their primary method of, of rounding up trespass livestock. And then that led to other parks uh, rounding up wild horses uh, at um, Theodore Roosevelt National Park. I'm involved in a project right now rounding up uh, all the feral horses that are in Mesa Verde National Park. Led to working with both wild um that is public sector bison herds, all the national parks, all the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service bison reserves or refuges, um, big bison ranch in Mexico, Canada. And so all those experiences from Big Ben to uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Mesa Verde, um, um, Parks Canada, um, all the Department of Interior agencies, all of Ted Turner's ranches, I've been to all 15 of his ranches, and the all those experiences have just convinced me and the people there on the ground that this is the only way to handle animals, mm-hmm. using the principles and techniques of low-stress livestock handling is developed by Bud Williams. It's just mm-hmm. phenomenally effective. It's it's uh, cost uh, cost effective. Um, takes a lot less people. It's a lot easier on the animals, easier and easier on the people, and easier on the facilities. 
Whit Hibbert is my guest today as we are talking low-stress cattle management. He's a rancher out of Montana, also a student of low-stress cattle management and a clinician that has traveled the country, not only teaching other folks, but as you heard, implementing those practices not only on his ranch, but in other places as well. And I know, as I said at the very beginning of our program, this is a this is a, a topic that is kind of a trendy right now in our industry, but as trendy as it is, I still think it's not completely understood even by those that are really think they're adapting to it i don't know if they really understand elements of it either and so that's why we have this subject here today we're going to take a break here when we come back what's going to be with us as we continue to go into this we're going to get into some of these principles you're listening to working ranch radio show on rural radio channel 147 sirius xm Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all Gain Smart Mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which Gain Smart Mineral formula is right for your herd, visit gainsmart.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. We appreciate you joining us here today. We are on the subject of low-stress cattle management in an effort for folks, uh, really, whether you uh, believe that it is a, is applicable in our industry or whether you're one of those that have just kind of held it out there thinking, well, this might be a little bit too trendy and, and people don't understand my livestock and don't realize that just some of that stuff doesn't quite work. And so we're going to, we're, we're talking about that today. My guest today is Whit Hibbert, a rancher out of Montana and also has been a student of low-stress cattle management for quite some time. Uh, and so, Whit, uh, one of the things that as we get into this, I'm going to refer to it as low-stress cattle management in general because uh, it's more than just handling. There's other elements to that, and we're going to be able to talk about that later on in our program. But under the concept of low-stress cattle management, let's go into the handling side of things first. And I want to share with folks, too, that we don't have the benefit of your of your clinic uh, in a way in the fact that you you typically have videos and, and slides that kind of show things that help us to see and put that uh, visually into into our minds about what you're referring to. So we kind of are a little bit of a disadvantage to that. But let's talk about from the from the management side, looking into the cattle handling side of things uh, with low stress management and what some of these basic principles are. Mm-hmm. Yes, when I teach low stress livestock handling clinics just and i really really get into first of all the all-important mindset you know it starts with with how we think about working our animals and basically conventional handling which is what most people do and what i grew up with um it's basically uh founded on and uses fear force and coercion to move what we think are basically uncooperative animals and we're going to have to make them do what we want them to do, like to go into the corral, across the scale, uh, up and through the squeeze chute, or onto the truck. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, low stress handling takes a much different approach, has a much different mindset, and that is we learn to work with our animals' minds instead of just pushing their bodies around. We tend to make our idea the animal's idea, 
which makes it easy on them and easy on us because it's really, you know, it's really easy to move animals any way that they want to go. So the trick is to get them to want to go mentally, you know, where we want them to go. And we do that through understanding 12 basic principles and 10 basic techniques. So what, if you could take those and kind of boil them down, what would those, uh, those principles look like? In a nutshell, the principles, um, really, well, first and foremost, deal with um, keeping the animals in a normal frame of mind, you know, in a conventional setting with all the yippee-yahoo racing around and excessive pressure and aggressive dogs and all that stuff uh, that I did for so long. We get animals out of a normal frame of mind, and their instinct is to well, their survival instinct kicks in and they just want to go back to where they last felt comfortable. That's why people have difficulty driving animals. That's why we have uh, runbacks when moving pairs. That's why we get cows and calves uh, separated. So we really need to keep animals in a normal frame of mind, first of all. And then we need to understand that or how to make our idea the the animal's idea and we really and that's largely based on the strategic application and release of of pressure and in conventional handling we tend to overpressure and never release pressure in low stress handling we really learn how to apply pressure properly at the right angle the right amount the right timing and most importantly the release because it's the release just as in horse training that's what teaches Mm-hmm. the animals okay that teaches them that they are doing the right thing that's the reward for doing what we've asked them to do and so they're more likely to continue it mm-hmm. and then we also have to understand that that these animals really do want to be in a herd and unless we do something to make the herd an unpleasant place to be which unfortunately is the byproduct of a lot of conventional handling and they like to go in the direction they're already headed. They like to follow other animals, and that creates good movement that attracts other movement to it. So those are really strong natural instincts of animals. And if we, and in low stress handling, we learn to capitalize on that, which makes it easier on the animals, and again, easier on us. But in conventional handling, we really don't understand that, and we handle our animals in such a way that. Um, they don't want to be in the herd. They don't want to father, uh, follow other animals. They just want to run and hide and go brush up and get away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, So, uh, again, we work with the animals more mentally and physically. We work more on draw in creating good movement than on push, which mm-hmm. conventional handling generally does is push mm-hmm. and from the rear. Okay. And then it's real important to understand a couple other things as far as principles, and that is that um, animals really need to and want to see the source of pressure. Like if something's pressuring us, we want to turn and look at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if something is pressuring them, they also need to see the opening. They need to see the release from pressure, you know, where the escape is, so to speak. And they also really like to go by us or around us. And why? Because they can keep us in uh, in their eye. Okay. So if you use or keep those principles in mind, where does that put us? It puts us near the front so that they can simultaneously see the source of pressure, uh, see the opening like the gate, and get to go by us. 
which are all really strong natural tendencies or instincts of animals. Okay. But what do conventional handlers do? They do what I did for 38 years. We get behind and push. Mm-hmm. But that violates all three of those really important principles. Yeah. You know? So an understanding of some of those principles that, that I just talked about uh, really makes yeah. livestock handling so much easier and less stressful. And then you add to that 10 basic techniques that are based on those principles. And that gives us a roadmap yeah. for what to do and how to move animals effectively. And it makes all the difference. I had got to the point where... I almost quit ranching, Justin, because working our animals most of the time was anything but fun. <laughs> and we've all seen that. People who have been around conventional handling, the yelling and the screaming, and not only at the cattle, but sometimes at yeah, each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and our horse, and we, when we get done, our horses are played out. Our dogs have quit us, and, and our voices are so hoarse we can hardly talk if we even wanted to. And then you take that, that stress home. You know, um, but then we discovered, as I mentioned earlier, low stress livestock handling and really seriously adopted it. We made the paradigm shift and now we love to go out and work our cows. It is fun and it's easy. Weaning, for instance, used to be dreadful. <laughs> Hated it. It's bad experience. They'd tear the fences down, tear the crowd down. Uh, and then we'd have to go do it again, and it was awful, and it is awful for a lot of people. Now we fence line, fence line wean across a, a three-strand electric fence. Some people do it across a single-strand poly, hmm. and it's and it's quiet. The academics will tell you weaning or cattle are going to ball after weaning. No, they don't if you do it properly. Yeah. It'll be silent. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to continue. Our guest today is Whit Hibbert as we are talking low-stress cattle management. And we're going to answer that question, I just don't have time to do this right now. Well, we're going to talk about that particular question when it comes into your mind as you address the idea of, can my operation move this direction? Well, that's the subject as we come up next on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Animal health is key to your business, so how do you track cattle health treatments? Well, stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. As we are into the topic of low-stress cattle management today, and I'm afraid uh, it's a subject that is very uh, has, a, has a lot to talk about, and and I don't know if we're going to quite get into every detail here like I had originally planned to. I, it's always one of my goals is when we do tackle a subject that we can go fairly in-depth, but there is a lot to talk about. Whit Hibbard is my guest today. We've been talking briefly uh, in the previous segments about uh, some of the some of the principles with that, and Whit... I know as folks are listening to this, they're thinking, you know, I just don't have the time to do this or implement this. You know, it's it's the pressure of trucks coming or we're always in a hurry to, to get cattle worked and do things. And we just don't have time to, to, to do this or adapt these principles. So 
how do you address that? Right. Yeah, I get that all the time, Justin, is people are listening, like in my clinics, and they're nodding their head, and, and then someone will raise their, their hand, and they'll say, that's all great, but I don't have time. And my response is, you don't have time not to do it. And if you learn it and you do it properly, uh, it is, it's not slower. It is faster, a lot faster, and it takes a lot less labor. I'll give you an example. At our stalker operation, um, we'd ship out on average 550 yearlings uh, in the fall. And out of a 55-acre holding pasture, and it would take us up to two hours with six riders and a few dogs to gather that pasture, get them out of that pasture and across the county road and into the crowds. Mm-hmm. Now it takes us, on average, it takes three riders. Two could do it easily, but we usually have three riders and it takes an average of 20 minutes and no dogs and the cattle literally walk into the crowd. They even speed up. They'll speed up to a trot to run into the crowd because they want to go into that crowd. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it takes half as many people. And instead of two hours, it takes 20 minutes. And so look at the shrink. If you calculate the shrink, uh, doing that conventionally, two hours, a lot of ram and jam, high speed, a lot of stress, we'd probably cause a 3% shrink on 550 animals at a dollar 50 pound at the time, uh, we left $19,000 on the ground before we ever got to the corral. Now those cattle voluntarily walk in there. They they love to go into the corral. Um, I suspect the shrink is zero. Mm-hmm. So that money goes in our bank account, not on the ground. Yeah. One of the questions I, I think one time when I saw you, I, I asked you this question because there's always that one cow or maybe there's a few cows that you, you kind of lose your, uh, kind of has a tendency to maybe cause you to lose your religion a little bit. And how do you deal with them cows that that are just, they can be buggers to deal with besides the fact that the, maybe you should have already sold them, but you still got them. So you got to find a way to deal with them. But a, a problem right. cow that's leaving the herd or, or just something that's just just kind of continually doing some things. How do, how do you handle that? Because those are the ones that can really cause you to get kind of bring stress into it. Oh, boy, yeah, and they can cause even the best low-stress handler to maybe regress to old habits. Yeah, yeah, backslide is what I call it, right? <laughs> yeah, no, backslidden. The, the, back, the backslide, yeah, and when I start reaching for, when I start reaching for my rope, um, I said, Wit, stop your backsliding. Yeah. You're regressing. Let's think through this. Um, yeah, that's a really good question about how to deal with animals like that. You know, we might call them uh, problem animals, problem livestock. Well, from the low stress perspective, there are no problem animals. There's no problem livestock. It's all in how we handle them. In other words, and Bud was adamant about this, that it's always human cost. But we tend to curse and blame the animals instead of taking responsibility for causing it. You know, why does an animal leave a herd? probably because we pressured it wrong you know why does an animal get on the fight that's because we didn't handle it properly so whenever that happens when we like when i encounter a problem animal and yes there might be some history there from prior bad handling by say someone else 
and I, I find this like in our stalker operation stalker operation when when we um, we cut some gray so we bring in commingled herds and so those animals have a wide history of diverse animal handling and you can tell right off that a lot of it wasn't good and so yes you end up with some problem animals but um, instead of conventionally trying to force your uh, your way on them okay and to make them do what you want them to do you can really work with that animal's mind by getting it to calm down, teaching it that you aren't going to do anything bad to it, developing a little trust with that animal. And that can be done through just a, the strategic application release of pressure. Pressure the animal, animal a little bit, it starts getting a little bit upset, back off. Okay, when it settles down, pressure a little bit more, and, and and then release. So pressure release, pressure release. Take it for a walk. Let it settle down till it's back into a normal frame of mind because we've gotten it out of a normal frame of mind. And remember, as I talked about earlier, then their survival instinct kicks in and they become really difficult to work with. So you got to get their, their heads in the right place first. Get them to settle down, get them to trust you a little bit, and when they and move, walk them around a little bit, and then you can pretty much do anything you want with them mm-hmm. at that point. But the biggest lesson there, Justin, and it's really hard, it was hard for me, and I had to work on it for years, and that's learning to, well, accepting the fact that that there are really no problem animals that is human cause and we have to take responsibility for that and then ask ourselves how did i cause that and what can i do to prevent it in the future and what can i do now to help that animal come down de-escalate back into a normal frame of mind so that it's it's manageable mm-hmm. Wit, i want to change directions just a little bit here and i know there's folks out there that have watched all the videos and done all the things they possibly can and jump full bore into this and yet at the same time when we watch them work in livestock really not getting anything done and i mentioned that one time to a neighbor of mine uh, mutually a friend of ours curtis rankin that uh, about that and he said well <laughs> you know here's kind of the deal low stress cattle handling doesn't mean no stress cattle handling and so i want you to explain a little bit more about that comment yeah and when i answer questions i i try and answer them how i know bud williams would have answered them and, and bud for people that don't know is a um, he's the founder of a particular form of stockmanship called low-stress livestock handling. And Bud was a raging, raging genius, and he spent his whole life trying to answer one question, that is, how, do, how can we handle our animals better? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that term, low-stress livestock handling, or low-stress stockmanship, as a lot of people call it, um, just because of that term, low-stress, which actually, as a side note, Alan Nation, the former publisher editor of the uh, Stockman Grass Farmer, he coined that term in 1989 to describe Bud Williams's particular form of, of stockmanship. But as soon as people think low stress, they get the idea that, well, we can't p- apply any stress to our animals. But Bud would say that, no, there's hardly anything we can do with our animals that doesn't put a l- little stress on them. Mm-hmm. And people were surprised when they watched him work livestock. At times, he would put large amounts of stress on animals, 
but it was proper stress. It was at the right angle. It was at the right speed. It was with the right presence. Uh, the timing, the, re, uh, the release of the, or the timing of the release was, was perfect. Mm-hmm. And so the, and, and in doing that, that clearly communicates to the animals what you want, they understand and they willingly comply and it's over mm-hmm. instead of people that, that misinterpret this and thinking that, oh, this is all just, you know, touchy feely, you know, lead them around with a bucket and we can't put any pressure on them at all. We call that slow stress livestock handling. Yeah, it just ends up being slow, and it's still stressful because you haven't changed anything else. You yeah. don't understand principles. You're still using. You're still pushing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not. You don't understand. You don't know the techniques, and so it's still stressful. It's just slower and quieter. So, to work animals properly with low stress livestock handling, no, there are times when, um, I mean, yeah, we definitely apply some stress to those animals but there's an immediate release of that stress Mm -hmm. because we clearly communicate with them because we understand proper technique which tells the animals what we want them to do and they understand it and willingly comply and that's what makes it it less stressful and it's and it's over it's over quick yeah Whit Hibbert is my guest today. We are talking on the subject of low-stress cattle management. And up till now, we've been talking a lot about just us as humans and our handling and, and that element of it. There's more to it. There's other components. We're going to talk briefly about those when we come back. One of those components, of course, being facilities. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. ka More pounds, more calves, more profit. Studies show Hereford Genetics increased net profit by $51 per cow per year. That's $20,000 in additional revenue for a typical 400-cow outfit. And calves sired by Hereford bulls continue to add value through the chain. A documented $30 per head in feedlot profitability. That's real money and real results. Get more ka-ching. Come home to Hereford at Hereford.org. Welcome back. It's the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. As we head into our final segment here in our conversation with Whit Hibbard, we're talking on low-stress cattle management, and I keep referring to it as management, and I know a lot of folks in their mind probably thinking handling, but there's more to it than just us handling the livestock, even though, as Whit was saying, there's that's a large component of it. Whit, I want to talk about uh, some of the other elements that go into that, and there's things, uh, for example, off the top of my head, is thinking facilities, but I want you to address the overall encompassing components that go into cattle management. At the outset, you had referenced this subject as uh, low stress management. And I think there's several components to that. If we think of yep. stockmanship as a, as a pie chart, I would say low stress livestock handling is the biggest slice of that pie chart. But there's, there's other uh, slices, including our horsemanship. Okay. including our dog handling, including our roping, you know, all that can be done in a low stress fashion. And another slice, very important slice of that pie chart is our facilities and our facilities design. You know? And definitely uh, well-designed facilities, like you mentioned, Curtis Rankin, he has one of the best designed facilities I've ever seen, and, but it's very simple. Um 
facility design is important, but more important than that. And again, speaking kind of on behalf of of, uh, of Bud Williams mm-hmm. or knowing how he would answer that question, is he would say, it's not so much the facilities as how we handle the animals. And so whenever he went and worked with ranches, feedlots, abattoirs, um, you know, farms, dairies, and work animals in their their facilities, his focus was 100% stockmanship. And what people found, I mean, they'd have Bud come in, and I've done this a lot of different places too, at both bovine and bison. Um, they'd want Bud in, they'd have me come in um, with the whole idea that we need to change our facilities because they don't work well. Mm-hmm but we teach them the principles and techniques of low stress handling and work the animals, teach them how to work their facility better. And at the end of it, almost 100% the people would say, we don't need to change our facilities, do we? We said, no, you just have to learn to work your animals better. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that being said, the best of both worlds is the way to go. A well-designed yeah. facility and good stock handling. Mm-hmm. I am very biased towards Bud Williams' approach to to facilities design, and that's open and straight and centered around one or more Bud Box systems mm-hmm. versus the solid-sided curved uh, uh, tub systems. Sure. They just they work better. They're more animal friendly. They're more people friendly. Wit, I'll tell you this it about merits another conversation with you when we talk about that pie chart. If you want to look at that and the different elements that go into management, because I think uh, as I as we're sitting here talking, we're going to be running out of time. We can't get into a lot more here, but it would be interesting to talk more about you know the horse, the dog, the roping. You know, you've touched a little on the facilities because those are all elements. People are wondering, okay, how do I incorporate those in this? Because I I I know a, a, a dog, a good dog is is good to have. You know, we we're all working. You know, usually on horses, or most of us are, and and there may be that time that we need to rope these cattle and do some doctoring to do different things. But how does that incorporate into this? So it about merits that you and I have to have another conversation, part two of this down the road to talk. <laughs> sure. Just about those things, but with that, you know, with uh, you know, really quick, you talked a bit about the stockmanship journal out there. Uh, that is a resource that folks can go to to kind of read your stuff about this and 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 how you put this together as well. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, the stockmanship journal. It's a um, uh, online journal. Uh, it's been going for about seven years now. Um, on average, has been two issues a year, and so if people just just Google Stockmanship Journal, it will take you right there. And its sole focus is low stress livestock handling. And I've written a whole series of articles too on another online publication called On Pasture. And so there's a lot of good information there on uh, low-stress livestock handling. So that's a really good resource as well. And also a, a really good source of information is is um, really going to the original source. Yeah. Say, and that is Bud, and you, even though Bud's deceased now, his wife Eunice is carrying on their website. And it's just stockmanship.com. There's a lot of good information on there. There's a, a couple of videotapes of Bud teaching schools that are available that, that have a lot of good information in there. So the resources are, are really there for people that, that want to pursue this um, 
And a good book recently that came out uh, was written by Steve Cody, a student student of Bud's, and it's called uh, A Manual of Stockmanship. I would recommend that as well. So there's a lot of good sources now, Justin, for, yeah. for people that really want to pursue this. And there's also, um, you know, some clinics available. Um, I'm still teaching clinics, although I'm <laughs> trying to pull back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of demand, a lot of <laughs> demand for it. There's, there's a lot of interest, you know, and you had asked me earlier in one of your questions, if we have just a second, what's the yeah. motivation for ranchers to learn this? Well, I think they're, and why is there getting to be more and more interest and i think it's it's primarily because people are realizing that there's a correlation between how we handle our animals and performance and so that's going to affect the bottom line you know and it's also addressing the increasing demand for animal welfare and humanely raised and treated animals by the meat consuming public and there's also what I call the economic imperative, you know, that, that uh, ranching, it's a tough business with slim margins. So we need to do everything possible to our advantage in handling our animals better. That is improving our stockmanship uh, helps, mm-hmm. you know. And I would say that Temple Grandin is on record as saying that if we would learn just 10 percent of what Bud Williams knew about handling livestock, we'd radically transform the industry. <laughs> And I would agree. Yeah, I would, de- I would definitely agree. And yeah. benefits to this stuff, you know, it, it increases performance in, in terms of live weight gains. It improves conception rates, improves fertility in bulls. It increases the immune function. It increases milk yields. It reduces shrink. Um, it increases efficiency, um, safety, animal welfare, I mentioned, and, and also mentioned really quality of life too. Yeah. And how do you put a value on enjoying what we do? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I've got a t-shirt that says, sorry for what I said when we were working cattle. Oh, God, that's perfect. <laughs> well, well with, uh, on that note, I, I appreciate you stopping in and, and joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. You bet, Justin. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. Whit Hibbert has been my guest here today on our program as we have been talking about the subject of low-stress cattle management. And by the way, his website, as as he mentioned earlier, is stockmanshipjournal.com. Now, one of the things I just mentioned a bit ago in my conversation with Whit was, boy, we kind of scratched the surface on a few things, especially some of these other components. And if that's something that you would like me to uh, get Whit back on the phone and have more conversation about that, shoot me an email or, or a text either way and let me know if that's something you'd like to do my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com or you can also send me a text at 307-363-COWS that's 307-363-COWS let me know what you think and uh, we can sure continue this conversation further with wit to go a little deeper into some of those components well stay with us when we come back meteorologist don day joins us with a look at our long-term weather Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Just in time for the holiday season, Dayweather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Dayweather weather journal is a great stocking stuffer idea. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. 
Welcome back to our final segment here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. As we're joined now by meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. And Don, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. So as as we kind of finish out the year of 2021 and we look ahead into 2022, we we look back on 2021 and see a major drought that we're coming out of. And and we've talked quite a bit here on our program about, you know, the science behind what caused this extensive drought across the country. But now we know La Nina is in the Pacific. It's it's kind of at its height and strength now. It doesn't match up to a solar minimum. So we know it's going to be fading. And so let's talk about about the how that's going to start to dissipate in the timing of everything. Yeah, I think everyone's going to be really happy to see 2021 in the rearview mirror, that's for sure, when it comes to the drought. And as we go into the, the next year, we are seeing La Nina really sort of uh, reaching its peak strength. Over the last several weeks, the sea surface temperatures near the equator have gotten colder, and that was predicted. And uh, now we're at a La Nina where it's pretty strong. Uh, at least of moderate strength. However, we're encouraged by the fact that as we go deeper than January, February, March, but especially by April and May, we'll continue to see La Nina on a downward trend, which is certainly something that we really, really need to get rid of. Got to get rid of that La Nina to help with the Western and Central United States get precipitation going again. Now, there's been some encouraging news over the last couple of weeks the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest, and some of the interior West has been able to see an increase of mountain snow and a little bit of rain and snow across some of the lower elevations. But to get a really big fundamental shift, to get conditions that are going to help alleviate drought conditions, we got to get rid of that La Nina. So we're hoping those trends continue as we go into the new year. So from, as you talked about timing wise, we're looking at April of May of seeing really noticing that shift taking place. That is a bit late in the spring. Uh, is it going to cause any, is there going to be any concern that it's maybe just a bit later? Or are we still going to see some, maybe some significant snow in that February, March in the central plains and in the Rocky Mountains that's going to get that drought sort of pulled back a bit? Well, that is a concern that it will not change its tune until too late in the spring into early summer. However, if you were to look at most of the precipitation that falls during the course of a 12-month period for a large part of the central and western United States, December, January, and February normally aren't very wet. It's it's March, April, May, and June when you really start to see those heavier storms that are more productive with the rain and snow. So the, I guess if we're going to have La Nina peak, this is when we should have it peak during the December, early January timeframe. So it is a concern. I'm glad you brought it up because we do run that risk. But a weakening line media is going in the right direction. And if that trend continues, that's going to really help. As we, I like to call them the muddy months of March, April, and May. Yeah. That's when we really need to see the, the, that line media weakening. We've talked a lot about the, the Pacific, the, the West Coast, central part of the U.S., Let's talk a little bit about that south, southern, southern plains, southern tier, and and southeast part of the country. What are they going to see in in the front months of the year? Well, it'll be interesting to see because I think the new year is going to start off with the southeast and the Gulf Coast pretty warm. Uh, they've been warm, and they're going to stay warm relative to averages with the coldest weather relative to averages in the far west and northwest areas of the U.S. 
But as January evolves, I think folks in the Southeast need to be prepared for the fact that there's a lot of Arctic air that just needs the right setup to cut loose. Mm -hmm. So while the first week or two of January may not be bad in the Southeast, some of that cold air in the Northern and Western areas could be leaking on in. So winter is off to a slow start so far, but it can play catch up real quick. And I think for some parts of the U.S., we're really going to see that in January and February. All right. Well, Don, I appreciate you joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show and everything that you've helped us with in this last year of 2021. Happy holidays. You too. And again, that's meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather as we approach the year of 2022. And I know if you're like me, when you hear that we're going to have potential chance of moisture, especially better compared to what we had in 2021, it does give you some optimism to head into the year. And so I appreciate him being a part of our program for this last year and a part of Working Ranch Radio Show. By the way, meteorologist Don Day, his website is Day weather.com where you can find his daily video podcast as he kicks that out every morning monday through friday very useful information that he has there complete with graphs and information and slides that really kind of draws it together and and, uh, helps for us to understand what's going on with the weather across our country thanks to our sponsor of this program today the american simmental association sim genetics heterosis works which is why with simmental it's more per head period find out more at Simmental.org. Well, as we come to a close in this program and a close of our year of 2021, we know is as we always kick the one program out the door, we're glad to kind of see it go. And we look ahead into 2022 with a real a lot of optimism, yet knowing at the same time there will be challenges. And on behalf of myself here at Working Ranch Radio Show and the Working Ranch Magazine, we wish all of you the very best for 2021 and may good prices, good weather, and good things come to you, your family, and your business operation. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine. And if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can do it by calling or texting the studio at 307-363-COWS, or you can also send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is found each and every weekend on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius X, them at 12 noon Eastern, Saturday and Sunday, or else you can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And finally, once again, on behalf of all of us at the Working Ranch Radio Show and the Working Ranch Magazine, we thank you for your support in 2021, and we wish you the very best in 2022. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.